Um, so, but tonight, so he, he covered uh, some portions of Proverbs chapter 22, and he did a great job with that, and we're going to look into Proverbs 23, and so when I, when I um, de- debriefed from Sunday, started trying to get my thoughts into another message, and uh, I, I just have a hard time, man, you just, I put a lot of time in a Sunday message, and then I got to kind of regroup, and I only have about a day and a half to really get the Wednesday going, so... Uh, when I have to preach Sunday and Wednesday, y'all get leftovers. I don't know how Pastor Nate does that all these years, um, but, but I think we have something good here. Obviously, it's God's Word, so it's all good. But as I read through Proverbs 23, there was a couple of thoughts I thought maybe would be good, some verses to key in on. And then I got to the end of Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 35, and they just jumped off the page to me. And there's been other sections in Proverbs that we went through that dealt with the issue of alcohol and drunkenness, and we, we never dealt with it. And so I felt like we're in the book of Proverbs, and it would be kind of, uh, I think it'd be good for us, I, I should say, for us to cover the issue of alcohol. Now, what I'm not going to do tonight is I'm not going to talk about alcohol and um, my stance on it for a whole message. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read these verses, and we're going we're gonna to look at the issue of alcohol, and then we're going to talk about the sober life. What, 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 what is the sober life for a Christian? Not necessarily not drinking, but the sober life. We're called to be sober-minded, to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. So this is what we're going to cover tonight. So get your seatbelts on. I hope it's encouraging. I hope it's challenging. But th- this is the subject matter for tonight. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would give us Give me wisdom, give me insight, help me to communicate clearly. And God, will you give you the rest of this time, Lord, speak through your word into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So ha- have you ever been around somebody that is just out of control? You ever been around somebody that's a- out of control? Have you ever been out of control? <laughs> I will raise my hand with that. I mean, I shouldn't be out of control. It's one of the qualifications for a pastor just to not be out of control. Uh, but that would be the pattern of your life. Um, but there's been moments in my life where you, either you're frustrated with a certain circumstance and you're overwhelmed, and so you just lose the sense of control in your life and you, you, you say something you, you wish you wouldn't say and you do something you wish you wouldn't do. And being around somebody that's out of control is a challenging thing for us to to handle, you know, and if you've been around, if you grew up with somebody, say you, maybe you grew up with a, with a father or a mother that was out of control on a, on a regular basis. They were not under control of their emotions and their words and their feelings, and so if you grew up with somebody that was like that on a regular basis, you struggled in your emotions, and maybe you felt abused ver- verbally and then even possibly physically because of being around somebody that was out of control, And you know, the opposite is true, or should be true in the life of a Christian, right? We should be, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in control of our emotions, in control of the things that we say, and control the the, the thoughts that come into our mind, and uh, if they're bad thoughts, push them away, and if they're good thoughts, encourage them. But we we should not live a life, as believers, out of control. And so when you look at Proverbs, when you look at this section in Proverbs uh, dealing with the issue of of alcohol and specifically drunkenness, verses 29 through 35, it gives you a picture of somebody that's out out of control because of 
a foreign, because of a substance that they took into their body in excess and they were out of control. And actually, as we read through this section in Proverbs 23, it really, you can kind of picture a, a, a bar fight. Like you see a, see a movie, maybe some of you in your, in your bar days, maybe you've witnessed something like this. <laughs> or, or, or not necessarily at a bar, but just somewhere where you had drunk people. But this is, what I, this is what it looks like when you read through it. So let's just read through this section. Proverbs 23, 29 through 25. It says, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine and those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who, who lies on the top of a mast. Now, this picture that just for a second. Let's hang right there in, in 34. When you're drunk and you're out of control physically, it's like you're lying on a boat you're tied down in the midst of the sea, and the, it's the picture is the sea is tossing and turning, and you have no control of what's going on. You are tied down, and you're at the mercy of the sea. And that's what it would be like when you're out of control of your, of your physical body, of your emotions and your feelings and your words. Your heart utters strange things, and your eyes see strange things. That's a picture of being out of control. And then verse 35, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And so this, this honestly, this picture here of, of alcohol abuse is a picture of an alcoholic. Somebody who, who drinks to excess, gets drunk, and they don't have feeling in their body. They can get hit, and they're numb to it, and they just are, had a, completely, a complete night of being wasted and uh, out of control, and they wake up, and the first thing they, they, they think of is, where's the next drink? That'd be a, this would be a picture of an alcoholic. And when you think of what would be opposite of a believer, you would think, like I said earlier, somebody that's in, that's in control. And as, as concerning alcohol, I think it's important for us to understand the difference between alcohol in the Bible days versus alcohol currently in, in our culture. And you can read tons of studies on this about alcohol content and the difference in alcohol content now versus in Jesus' day. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, Jesus turned water into wine and uh, Paul encouraged someone to use alcohol for uh, his, his stomach. Um, and then there's other verses in scripture that, that talk about wine making the heart merry. But in the Bible days, alcohol or, take, or, or, or uh, water supply was not like what we have now. Water supply, was, there was no filtering system to filter water. And so water would have to be filtered. And so one of the ways that the contaminants and the germs would get out of the water supply was for, for it to be mixed with, fer, with fermented drink, with wine. And so there was a lot of water content that was mixed with the alcohol content, and so the alcohol content was lessened because of the mixture with 
the, with the uh, water. Alcohol nowadays, it, it's, not, it's not like that. And so there is a difference there. So it's not apples to apples. People can't say, well, you know, the Bible, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink and it doesn't condemn drinking. But I don't believe that the alcohol in the Bible days was the same as the alcohol. Now, I do believe that there was strong drink, and the Bible clearly talks about strong. It makes a difference between wine and strong drink. And I would make the case that the majority of the alcohol today would fall, fall un, un, under the category of strong drink. Versus in the Bible days, the wine would have been more of a tempered wine that was not having a high al- alcoholic content. But then there was the strong drink that people would use to get drunk. So that's my view of the difference between alcohol then and now. And so this is just one section of scripture that addresses the issue of drunkenness. And so there's multiple scriptures that I could have went to. And, but my point in, in addressing this is not to talk about alcohol. We're going to talk about the sober life and how we should live under the control of the Holy Spirit. But just to address this issue, um, I think there is enough weight of evidence in the Bible to, to demonstrate that alcohol is dangerous. Would you agree with me? Some of you maybe. I, th- I think there's enough weight of evidence to... To, for us to say that alcohol is a dangerous substance uh, or can be a dangerous substance in someone's life. Now, I, now there's different categories of people. If, if, you were, if you struggled with alcohol abuse in your life and you're a believer now and alcohol was a part of your past, you can't have anything to do with alcohol as a believer. You can't go there. And so when you look at Christians and they maybe never struggled with alcohol and they drink alcohol in moderation and they don't get drunk, if you look at their example, it shouldn't be an example for you because you have a weakness and you have a past, an area of temptation in alcohol to go to excess. So you, you, you can't use that, that liberty. Um, I think there's other categories of people. Uh, there's people who are okay with drinking alcohol as a believer, and they don't go into excess, and they may drink socially, or they may drink a glass of wine with, with, their, with, their, with their meal, and they are in control, and they, they do it uh, in moderation. But I also think those people, they have people that are watching them. And if you're an adult, if you're a parent with, with children, you have kids that are watching you. Um, if you uh, are in the body of Christ continually, have people that are around you, you may have fellow Christians that are watching you if you drink in front of other Christians. And so the way in which, if you're a believer and you feel like I can drink alcohol in moderation, then you have to be careful where you drink it and who you drink it in front of because it's clear in Scripture from the book of Romans that, that, that our liberty, versus Romans chapter 14, you can go back home and read that in Romans, in Romans 14, our liberty should never be used as, a, as a, a stumbling stone for somebody else to fall into sin. And so I think those are kind of the, the categories of people on the issue of alcohol. Now, where I stand as a pastor, I, I, I don't drink. Because I believe it's, I believe that the, the qualifications in 1 Timothy and in Titus say that a pastor should not be given to wine. And when you study that phrase, not given to wine, it's the picture of not not getting drunk, and not just drinking casually, but not given to it in, in, in any shape or, shape or form. Not given to wine. Not having a propensity to drink. And so for me, 
And for the pastoral staff at Living Road Church, we don't drink. Right, Brother Freddie? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't drink because it's a standard that we uphold. Because I, I, I have a hard time feeling like I could counsel somebody who has a problem with alcohol and say, hey, I don't think you should drink, but privately I drink. I would never want them to ever see me drink. Because if, if they would see me, or e- e- even if I would talk about it, if your pastor drinks, and you're a re- recovering alcoholic, and, but your pastor drinks, I think that would be a, an area where the enemy could get at you and could say, hey, well, your spiritual leader, the one you look up to who you think is one of the most spiritual people on the earth, drinks, well, then it must be okay for me to drink. But you can't because it's an area of weakness in your life, and the enemy will go after that. So for me, as a minister, I'm an example. I, I can't drink. And, and here's, here's a, another view for me, and this is my stance. This is how I feel on it. This is my attitude about alcohol in general. Um, I bought this Bible about a month or so ago, and it's a journaling Bible. And uh, I'm glad that Joel's not in here because I was hoping he wouldn't be in here because uh, I'm going to use him as, as an example. But my goal with this Bible is to, is to take notes over the course of several years and to uh, give it to Joel and then give another one to Eliana when they graduate from high school. And so they'll be able to have a Bible that their dad spent years putting his thoughts down about what he thinks about Scripture. And so as I was studying this morning, actually Matt Carnes walked in on me while I was uh, writing in this journaling Bible. I was in Proverbs 23, looking at this section again, trying to finish up my notes. And I thought, well, here, I'm going to write my thoughts to Joel. And so here it is. I wrote on this side right here. This is my thoughts about alcohol to Joel. Because I want my son to know what his daddy thinks about alcohol. And so... This is what I wrote to Joel. Alcohol is a dangerous drink to allow in your life. Scripture makes it clear that there can be great risk involved with drinking. Some people want to hold on to the right to drink. Of all the things to hold on to in this life as liberties, alcohol is not one that is worth holding on to. Because of this. Because there's a fine line between moderation and excess. As believers, we also want to make sure that whatever our liberty, it is not a cause for someone else to stumble into sin. We are called as Christians to live a sober life, and alcohol puts that responsibility at risk. So that's, that's my view of alcohol. That's my stance. So it's my story. I'm sticking to it, and now, now we're done with that subject. Now we want to talk about the sober life. So the opposite of, 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 of being drunk would be sober. And the Bible says in Ephesians 15 that we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the opposite picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit is filled with something else that controls your life, controls your thinking. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And, and if you're drunk... You're really not careful how you walk. If you're under the influence of something else, you're not careful how you walk. That's the picture. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And if you're, if you're, if you're drunk under the influence of whether it's alcohol or any other influence in, in this life, then you, you don't live like you're wise. You, you live foolishly because you're under the influence of a substance, of, of a relationship, of feelings in your emotions, you're under the influence of something that's controlling you, and you don't make the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, 
and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But the opposite is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what, what is the picture of if, if, if the negative side is to not be sober and to live according to the impulses of your flesh and the, the right way to live is to be filled with the Spirit, what does it mean? What does it look like to be filled with God's Spirit? And I, I wrote this thought down here. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we are moved along in our life under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Not under the control of any other substance, any other person, any other influence. We're moved along in our life under the influence and control of the Spirit. We're moved along in the direction that honors God. And here's the picture. Like how a sail in a sailboat is filled by the wind and it moves the boat in whatever direction it pleases. That's the picture of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Picture a sailboat, you've got the sail, it's sitting there doing nothing. That would be your life if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. You have no direction, no purpose, and you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and all, all of a sudden, the wind of the Spirit blows and fills that sail, and now you have direction in your life. And the Spirit directs you, and guide you, and lead you through the truth of God's word. That's what it means to be filled with God's spirit. So like a sail filled, filled by, by, by the wind, it moves us. The spirit moves us and directs us and guides us. As believers, scripture is clear that we should be free from distracting influences that cause us to have our judgment clouded. We must be sober-minded. We have to be sober-minded in this life. There's so many areas that I could talk about tonight that influence us to not be sober-minded, to, to not think clearly about our life, not think clearly about our circumstances, not think clearly about our marriage and our children and our culture around us. There's so many influences that want to get us just to, to be distracted, to be distracted, to live distracted lives. There's so many influences that the enemy wants to use to come into our life. And, and as we talked about earlier, alcohol could be one of those. In the, uh, there's any number of things. But we are called to live sober lives. God wants us to have clear judgment, to make good decisions, to be filled with the Spirit of God, and to make decisions that are based upon God's Word. And the only way we're going to make decisions based upon God's Word is if we are allowing God's Word to shape our thinking and allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate that truth and to guide our life. Is, it, is that what you want? And that, that's, that's what I want. I, I want to live a sober life. I want to live a life that I am not controlled by my impulses. I want to live a life I'm not controlled by my anger, by my frustration, by my fear, by worry, by alcohol, by any other substance. I want to live a sober life to please God, to where when the Holy Spirit does direct me and guide me, I, I can have clear thinking and I can respond and obey and fulfill God's purposes. So I have to ask you a question. What, what does the sober life look like as a Christian? I could have talked about lots of things, what the sober life looks like. But I've got three areas that I want to focus on of what the sober life looks like for us as Christians. We are called to live soberly. The first area, first way that the sober life looks is, number one, not allowing ourselves to be lulled to sleep. I might lull you to sleep tonight because you're tired and you worked all day. 
but you can't allow yourself to go to sleep tonight. You gotta stay awake. That's physically. But spiritually, we can't allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep. This is a picture of 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8. This is what it says. It says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, speaking to Christians, you have no need to have anything written to you. You know what he's saying right there? This is so good. I didn't even think about this whenever I was reading this. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Why did he say that? It's because he's telling them you should be aware. You should already know. You, as a Christian, you should know what's going on around you. But what, if you're not being filled with the Holy Spirit and living a sober life, what's the opposite of that? You're just going to kind of be clueless, floating along in your life, not aware of the times and the seasons and what's going on. So we should be aware. You should be aware. And you should have no need for anybody to tell you this. For you, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Ladies, is that, is that what it's like? Sudden, <laughs> sudden labor pains all of a sudden hits you. And there will, there will be no escape until delivery, right? <laughs> There's no escape until that baby is delivered. But you are not in darkness, brothers. Why that? Why are we not in darkness? For that day to surprise you like a thief, verse 5, for you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the light or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. Don't get lulled to sleep. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The picture there that the Apostle Paul is talking about is that he's saying, brothers in Christ, don't be like the world. Don't be like those that are in darkness. And those that live in darkness, they're going to be surprised when the day of the Lord comes. They're going to be shocked. They're going to be like, what in the world just happened here? But because we, we live soberly, because we live under the influence of God's word and the Holy Spirit in our life, we know what is happening here. We can see the influences of our culture, the evil, the evil things going on in our culture. We see the times and the seasons. We see that evil is increasing in our day. We see that, that people are, are, are increasingly hating God more and more, and they're increasingly loving sin more and more, and we're recognizing that, and we're seeing that, and so because of that, we're like, God, man, you should have done something a while back. And it should be, man, you are so merciful to have mercy on these people. Have mercy on this nation. Have mercy on the world. People that continually reject you and mock you to your face. Ignore the reality of creation that there is a God and live how they want to live. We're aware of that because we live sober-minded. For those who are asleep, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, when do they get drunk? At night. And what, what's the picture there? What's he trying to say? It's saying that those who get drunk who don't live the sober life, they're in darkness. Those who give themselves over to controlling things, they live in darkness. Those who give themselves control, the control of their life over to the Holy Spirit, those are the ones that are in the light. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now let's, let's, let's leave verse 8 up there. 
This is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul says that we should do. So we're not to live in the darkness. We're not to live out of control in our mind and in our emotions and in, in our feelings and in our body. We should live soberly because we're in the light. We are in the light. We're not in the darkness. How can we who are in the, the light live in sin and live out of control? We can't do that because we are in the light, right? Right? So how does he say we're going to do this? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having... Put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of our salvation. As believers, we should not sleep in spiritual indifference and comfort, but be alert to the spiritual issues all around us. And so in verse 8, he tells us how we can do that. The first way he says is it's to put on the breastplate of faith. And this is what that, this is what that means, the breastplate of faith. The, a, a breastplate would protect the, the vital organs of a soldier's life in the Bible days. It would be that breastplate that would protect his heart and his lungs and protect the vital organs. And so this is one part of that armor that protects you. It's so vital that you have this, a breastplate of faith. And the picture of faith is this, is belief that God's word is true. Belief that God's word is true. Unbelief, to the contrary, characterizes all sin. Not believing that God's ways are better than the temptation. That's what unbelief is. That's what it means to not have faith. So what's gonna protect us, what's gonna help us live soberly is to believe that God is true and that his word is true and that he doesn't lie. And that if God's word says that living godly and living according to his ways is good and is true, then we believe it and we walk in that, we walk in that way. But whenever we are tempted, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to disbelieve what God says. Isn't that what happened in Genesis with, with Eve? Satan c- came in there and tempted Eve and, and said, did God really say that you wouldn't really die? You're not going to die. It's not true. God's word's not true. And the wor- listen, listen, the world all around you, all around you, the world is going to try to do what Satan did to Eve. It's going to try to get you to say, It's going to try to get you to believe that God's word is not true. It's okay. You can do that. It's okay. You can allow that thought to linger in your mind. It's it's okay. You don't have to worry about that issue. You're not going to die. That's not going to hurt you. That's not going to influence your your kids and and your wife and your your husband and your family. It's no big deal. that's That's not living soberly. So faith is one protection against that. Faith is how we live soberly. It's how we stay in the light. We say, God, I put up that breastplate of faith and I say, God, your word is true. And I know that your word is true. And you say that I should live sexually pure because it's right and it's good and it honors you. Your word says that I should be careful about what I say and how I speak. And your word is true. And I'm not gonna believe the lie to live according to the impulses of my flesh. Your word is true. God, in every area that you speak, and I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust that you're good and that your ways are better than what this culture is telling me. That's how we live soberly. We protect our heart. You've got to protect your heart in this culture. Listen, you've got to protect your heart in this culture. There's so much filth in this culture, so much filth that the enemy wants to use to distract you, to get you to live in a drunken stupor. Live according to the impulses of your flesh. Put up the shield of faith. 
belief in God's word. What's the second thing that we do? We put up the breastplate of love. It says the breastplate of faith, and then it says the breastplate of love. And what is the picture of love? Our love for God is what motivates us to walk in the light. So we believe God's word is true, but we love God with all of our heart. And you don't, if you love somebody with all of your heart, it's hard to sin against them, right? If you love somebody with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength, it's difficult to sin against them. So it's a picture of my wife and my kids. I love them with all of my heart. And whenever I do sin against them, when I do do things that hurt them and are sinful against them, my heart is, is pricked and, and it hurts my heart because I know I've hurt their heart. And whenever we love God, it's the same thing. God, God, God help me keep up that, that breastplate of love in my life. God, because if I love you with all of my heart, I'm not gonna sin against you. The breastplate of love and of faith helps us to live soberly. And what's the third thing? The hope of salvation. This is the picture. Our hope is not in this life, but in the future salvation we will experience in eternity with Christ. This is, this is so good. This is, this, is, this, is, this is how we live soberly. This is why we live soberly, because this, we recognize this earth is not our home. The hope of our salvation is why we, we can see clearly my hope is not here. My hope is in heaven. My hope is in Christ and the finished work of the cross that is preparing for me an eternal weight of glory that I cannot comprehend beyond all my earthly comprehension. And so when we look at that and we look at the earth, we look at temptation, we look at sin, and we look at the ways of the enemy, the ways of Satan, and we see that, we say, I, 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 have to, I can't live that way. I, I have to live soberly in light of what I know is true about heaven, what I know is true about hell the hope of our salvation. So the first way in which we live sober is that we cannot allow ourselves to be lulled to sleep by our culture. You know, one of the things that um, my wife does, and I've said this before, but I, I never told the complete story, but one, one, one day, uh, how old was Joel when he opened the fridge? Okay, so you just think three, four-year-old little boy, you know, about like this. He walks up to the refrigerator. He looks in there. He says, Mom, I want some Buzz Light. And we're like, Buzz Light? <laughs> what's Buzz Light? Stella said, what's Buzz Light? She's, he, he, and he said, you know what they drink on TV. And it was from that day forward that Estelle started the phrase, mute the commercials. And, 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 we physically mute the commercials, and with the invention of the DVR, we fast-forward commercials now. Because not only do you have to mute the commercials because of the advertisement, but you got to fast-forward because of what you might see. And, 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 and so we can't be lulled to sleep. Man, it's, it's, just, it's what our culture motivated. You know, our, our sinful culture is motivated by Satan, motivated by hell, set on fire by hell itself. They want to destroy our children. Some, some of them don't even know they want to destroy our children because they, they're, they're just trying to make money. But there, there are people that are in our, our entertainment culture. They know what they're, what they're doing. They're trying to change the way our kids think, trying to change the way we think because they have an agenda. And it's an agenda that's motivated from hell. And we've got to protect ourselves 
And we got to protect our kids, and we cannot go to sleep. We can't go to sleep. Because if we go to sleep, our kids are in danger. We could go home tonight, right? Do y'all feel challenged? <laughs> Challenging myself. It's the second way that living soberly looks like. Living sober looks like being aware of the enemy's schemes. We kind of touched on it a little bit in this first point. But let's look at 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Peter talks about it from the outset. Be sober-minded. So if you're sober-minded, what are you? You're watchful. And why should you be sober-minded and watchful? Because your adversary, the devil, he's out to get you. He prowls around like a roaring lion. And what does he want to do? He wants to devour someone. But what, what, what do we do? We resist him, firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we've got to be aware of the enemy's schemes. The enemy has schemes. He has strategies. He's trying to distract us. He's trying to tempt us. The enemy relentlessly wants to tempt us as Christians. The devil and his forces, he and his forces, are constantly looking to overwhelm the believer with temptation, with persecution, and with discouragement. He's our adversary. This is what he's constantly trying to do, to overwhelm us with temptation, persecution, and discouragement. And that word adversary, when, you just, when, when the Bible describes the devil as our adversary, as our adversary there, it's, the Greek, it's Greek for a legal opponent in a, in a lawsuit. So he's our adversary, and he's trying to accuse us before God. And he's trying to find ground to stand on in our life. He's our adversary. He's trying to get after us to where he can stand before God and say, See, they're not yours. See, they don't belong to you. And then he gets into your head and says, See, you don't belong to God because you did that or you thought that way or you responded that way. He's our adversary. He wants to get at us through temptation, through discouragement, and through persecution. But what, what do we do? What did Peter say that we do? We've got to be aware of his schemes, but how do we handle this relentless attack from the enemy? We resist it. We resist him. But how do we resist the devil? What did it say there? It said, by doing what? To, to, to be sober, but there was a specific phrase. Watchful. So right after that, Chuck will eventually put it up and you'll get the answer. Resist him. How? Firm in your faith. Listen, I know sometimes we like to talk to the devil. Does anybody ever, did y'all ever talk to the devil? I don't want to stop you from talking to the devil. I don't want to discourage, talk to the devil. If you want to talk to the devil, talk to the devil. But if I was you, I wouldn't waste my time talking to the devil. Because the devil's busy and his demons worrying about a lot of things. You, the most important thing to do is for you to talk to yourself. You know it's important to talk to yourself? Okay? Talk to you. And how do you talk to yourself? You remind yourself of what God's word says. You remind yourself of the truth of scripture. You stand firm in your faith. You resist the devil not by talking to him. You resist the devil by standing firm in your faith. So get, just leave the devil alone. Let him, let him do his thing. He's going to do his thing. If you walk away from him and you pursue God, you pursue spending time in God's presence. You, you, you pursue spending time in God's word. 
And look, I, I, I remember times, man, I'm like, I'm fighting some temptation or, you know, or whatever's going on in my life. And I can get caught up trying to wrestle with the devil. I, you don't need to wrestle with the devil. Don't wrestle with the devil. Turn to God. Lean on God. Turn to the truth of God's word. Turn to the truth of, of God's word. The devil, listen. The devil gets blamed for a lot of things that he never really did. The book of James talks about who's at fault whenever we sin. It says that when we sin, it's because we're lured away and drawn away by our own desires. So the issue is us. So whenever we're tempted and the enemy's coming at us with temptation, we need to look to our faith in God. Now, look, talk to the devil if you want. That's what you, if, that, if that helps you. But look to God. Stand firm in your faith. And what does that look like? To me, there's a scripture right here that, that, that I think that, that gives us a framework for this. This is 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. This is how we war with the devil. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are we trying to do when we're fighting this battle? We're destroying strongholds. And where, what are the strongholds? We destroy what? Say it with me. Arguments. Where are, what, what, what are the arguments? They are lofty opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of God. Where do we get knowledge from God? Right here. The knowledge of God comes from his word. So this is what the devil does. This is how he fights you. As we went back earlier, if you think back, we said he tries to get you to disbelieve what God's word says. He tries to get you to not believe. He's tempting you to do something that you shouldn't do that violates God's word. And so what you need to do is you need to stand firm in your faith. You need to destroy that argument. You go back to the truth of scripture and, and you say, this is what God's word says. This is the truth of scripture. This is what is true. This is right. This is good. And I'm not going to dwell on what is not true. We destroy arguments. And we take captive every thought to obey Christ. We stay sober by being aware of the enemy's schemes. And the enemy's schemes is to get you to, to disbelieve what God's word says is true. And we resist the devil by standing firm in our faith. Faith in what? Faith in the truth of God's word. Faith in what God has revealed to us is true and worthy of living out. Amen? What's the third way in which we live soberly? We live soberly, number three, by not thinking too highly of ourselves. Anybody ever struggle with that? No, nobody in here, right? Because y'all are Wednesday night Christians. Y'all are Y'all are humble. I think all of us from time to time struggle with thinking highly of ourselves. When I was, I was trying to think of, you know, Lord, what, what other areas should we cover? And I just, I feel like this is such a good area here for us to think about, about being sober-minded. This is Romans 12, 3 through 10. It says, for by, grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. How should we think? To think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So we should think soberly about ourselves, that we shouldn't think that we're better than anyone else because maybe we do something different than somebody else. Sometimes I think that that happens. People, people can reach certain 
statuses in life and they can think, well, because I have X amount of dollars, because I have this type of house or this type of car or this type of influence or this number of people know me, like me, I get, I get so many likes on Facebook or so many follows on, on Instagram and, and you can begin to think, well, I'm just so much better. I'll, people like me so much more. I have so many more friends on Facebook. I'm a little bit better than those other people who only have a few friends. And we just instinctively, there's always this comparison in our culture. It's all, it's all about who's popular and who's better and everyone else, we're just like little um, peanuts. <laughs> Don't amount to anything. And that should never enter into the kingdom of God. We should always have a sober judgment of who we are. Because we recognize, what did it say there? For by the grace given to me. Because we know that everything, everything I am, everything I will ever be, is because of God's grace. There is nothing I did to deserve God's grace. There's nothing you could ever do to earn God's grace. God didn't save you because you prayed harder than, than the next person. God, didn't, God hasn't shown you blessings because you worked hard for it. God gave you his grace because he loved you. You cried out for it. You turned from your sins. You acknowledged him as Lord and you received the grace of God and he saved you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was a grace. So in view of grace, we should think soberly about ourselves. And here's where it gets more focused in verse 4. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not have all the same functions. We're all different. God's called us to do different things. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If we, we have a gift of prophecy, we should prophesy. If it's service, the gift of helps, then in serving. If it's teaching, then we should teach. The one who exhorts, let him exhort. The one who contributes, who's generous, let him do it with generosity. The one who leads, lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So here's the picture. We all have unique giftings. Unique things that God's called us to do, but we should all think soberly about ourselves and not think that this gifting is better than someone else's gifting. I, I should never think that because I stand on this stage and you guys listen to me for, for, for 45 minutes, that, that I'm better than you for whatever you do. Because it's just not the case. It's just a different gifting. It's a different gifting. My gifting is different than your gifting. God has called you to do unique, different things but it's all a part of the body of Christ. We're all, we're many members, but we're one. And so to think soberly means that we recognize that we're just a piece of the puzzle. We recognize that the person who opens the door out front, that wears the lime green shirt on Sunday mornings, opens the doors over there and over here and over here, they're just as valuable as the person who preaches from the pulpit. Just as valuable. And I always say this in the foundations class when we talk about, about the church and the value of the church and we, we, there's one of the points in there is that one one thing that one value we get out of the local church is that we get the privilege of serving we have the privilege of serving and that's something that you miss out on if you disconnect yourself from the body of Christ and one evidence of the value of serving and how everyone is valuable and this is the picture that I, that I always paint before somebody comes and sits in the seat to hear the message preached they're greeted by somebody at the door so let's just say, for example, the person at the door that's greeting that morning doesn't think they're, they're very valuable and that they're needed. And they think, man, I, I wish maybe I was one of the guitar players on this stage or 
the drummer. Maybe they have a gifting or a talent and nobody really knows it. And they feel, they feel like that what they're doing out there, opening a door for somebody, is really not a big deal. And they feel like they're small and insignificant. And so they should smile and greet the people when they come in. But instead, they look melancholy. And they feel like they're just having a real down day. And somebody walks in the door and it's a person that's never been here. They're, they're, and they're not a Christian. And that person... It's a believer that's greeting the door in the lime green, greeting a person at the door in the lime green shirt, totally misses their opportunity to impact that non-believer. The first person that non-believer sees is going to be the green shirt person, the person that feels like they're not significant, person that feels like I'm being overlooked, I'm not being used, I'm not valuable. And little do they know that that one smile can be used by the Holy Spirit to impact that person's heart and can begin to stir the ground and stir up the ground in that person's heart to make it fertile to where when the pastor gets up, the pastor preaches, and they played a part in the word of God being implanted in their heart. Do you believe that? I believe it. I, I believe it's true. Every piece and every part and every person matters. So we should never think that we're too little and we should never think that we're too big, that we're too much. We should never, we're, we're all needed, we're all right, and we should think, and, and, and because of that, we need to think soberly minded about ourselves. And here, here's what it says in verse nine. In view of all of that, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And love one another with brotherly affection. This is so good. Outdo one another in showing honor. Amen? The sober life is undergirded by humility. Because I think the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Somebody who doesn't live sober-minded, they're prideful. Says, you know, I'm going to do things my way. I don't have to worry about the devil's schemes. I don't have to worry about the culture around us and the messages that they're sending us. I'm okay. I'm I'm, I'm good. The sober person, on the other hand, says, I'm filled filled with the Holy Spirit, and I recognize and I see what the enemy's doing. I recognize his schemes, and I see the messages of our culture, and I'm going to hold up the truth of God's word in my mind and in my heart, hold up the breastplate of faith and of love, and I'm going to look towards my hope in heaven. The sober life is undergirded by humility. We humbly submit to God and his word, and we humbly recognize that we are in desperate need of God's grace. And we also recognize in this last point that we need the body of Christ to help us mature in our faith. So this is a picture of the sober life. So it looks like to live soberly as opposed to living out of control. We, we, we live soberly. It looks like to live soberly not allowing ourselves to be lulled to sleep, being aware of the enemy's schemes, and finally not thinking too highly of ourselves. Lord, I just thank you for your word. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to live soberly. It is so easy to be lulled to sleep by so many, we're constantly bombarded by different messages from our culture, from the entertainment culture, from coworkers that don't know you, just constantly bombarded by influences that want to just lull us to sleep, to just take part in the things that don't honor you. 
Lord, I pray that we would resist the devil firm in our faith, resist the temptation. We would hold up the truth of God's word and we would go, we would turn to scripture, turn to your truth in our time of temptation, that we would remind ourselves of what your word says, that we would turn to prayer and to worship in those times, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to fill our sails so that we can be directed in sober ways, be directed in ways that honor you so we can fulfill the purpose that you've called us to. God, I thank you that your grace is what helps us to do all of these things. Help us to walk humbly before you, Lord. We need your strength. We need your grace in our life more than ever. God, the moment that we think we don't need your grace, the moment that we think we can do this on our own is the moment we are at our weakest. May we never find ourselves in that place. God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.